of Holiness podcast with Reverend Carolyn Moore and Reverend Pierce Drake. Join us today as we lean into practical holiness, intergenerational relationships, and supernatural ministry. This is a New Room Network podcast. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast. So good to be with you. You know, I think I can confidently say this for almost all of our listeners out there, except for maybe the very bottom side of Florida and then those outside the country. But I pray that you're staying warm because it feels like if I'm in Houston, Texas, and it's 15 (laughs) degrees, it's cold everywhere. It is cold everywhere. And uh, feels like winter. Yes, yes. And so we pray that you're you're staying warm, staying healthy, that you're safe and uh, all those good things. Uh, Carolyn, it's good to be back with you as always. Really yep. interesting topic today. Really interesting guest. Enjoyed our time with him, and mm-hmm. uh, a subject matter that we have not crossed yet. Yeah, I kind of was digging around a little bit. I um, I've been interested in sort of around the edges of this topic because way back when I um, I heard uh, I read some things on servant leadership, and that kind of is part of this overall topic. But then I just came across this guy, this book, and got really excited. So um, if we're all about the art of holiness here, then how do you practice? How do you, how does practical holiness live itself out in the workplace? And that's what we're talking about. Jeff Hainan is the founder of the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. Uh, He is not there now. He has passed it on to the next generation, but he is the founder of that institute. He has a lot to say about practicing faith in the marketplace, but also about how to live and work from a deeply authentic place spiritually. He he wants to give us deeper, more well-rounded, more mature tools for living as a Christian in the workplace. Um, he also writes for Christianity Today. He's the author of two books on work. One is called An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. We touch on that toward the end of this conversation. His most recent one, where we focus today, is called working from the inside out. So when Jeff talks about work, he talks about things like thinking theologically about your job, which was kind of pinged for both of us, uh, Pearson, and about living a holy life through your work. It's a great conversation about a huge chunk of our lives. So uh, listen, and we'll see you on the other side. Jeff Hainan, it is great to have you here with us. Thank you so much for taking time to have a conversation about holiness and work and Jesus. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so you've done a lot of work in the area of faith and work. Tell us how your journey led us to get here. Yeah, how I got into the faith and work stuff Um I became a person of Christian faith at 18. I grew up nominally in the church, but did not have a personal experience of Christ until actually end of high school. I uh, read the New Testament for the first time. I read several books of apologetics, which made me believe that uh, it was all true, strangely enough. Hmm. Um, And early in my faith journey, actually, I read a handful of thinkers on Christian worldview, guys like Francis Schaeffer and others. And that became very important earlier in my journey of this idea of gospel as public truth uh, for all things. Uh, And when it takes a look at how people, you know, live out their day-to-day lives and culture, that just tends to be working. You know, sometimes this can be consuming a movie or a 
website or you know the way we vote but the reality is culture is made through work so i got interested in that uh conversation really 15 ish years ago and really wanted to understand what it meant to live out faith in all areas of life including our work um and that can include everything from our personal experience of work to the challenges we face in our different industries so that's a brief overview of how i got involved in faith and work i i love that phrase the gospel as public truth Mm-hmm. That flies in the face of so much of what comes out, especially in the devotional world, which is Jesus and me, my faith, my business, especially. I mean, that goes even that idea goes back into the 50s where religion was more of a private affair. Um, yes. I, I, I love the idea of approaching the gospel as a public truth. As I say so often, if it's not Christ for the whole world, it's not Christ for any of it. But even when I say that, I'm thinking evangelistically, not Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just how you live day to day. So, uh, I want to ask you just to say a little bit more about that phrase and how you came to either coin it or find it. Oh, yeah. So, I did not coin that one at all. A guy named Leslie Newbegin, who is a missiologist, an Anglican missiologist, came up with uh, that one. As far as I know, uh, some of the friends at Comment Magazine as well uh, have that as their tagline as the gospel's public truth. So those that get involved in thinking and uh, activity around faith and work oftentimes have some sort of a root of this revelation of the breadth of redemption. Mm. And we talk oftentimes about that is that Jesus is saving souls, but he's saving everything else too. Right. Our systems, our relationships, our communities, he is the savior of the world. So that's that's where that came from. Uh, Leslie Newb again, he... Uh, he wrote an interesting book called Truth to Tell. Um, the gospel in a pluralist society actually was very important uh, early in my uh, faith journey. And that's where he really goes into this discussion of how faith has been privatized in our culture, but it was never meant to be so. Mm. Man, that's really good. You know, we sit here, I can't believe we're saying this, four years, like coming up on four years post the beginning of COVID and and, you know, global shutdown, et cetera. And coming out of that um, across, not just, you know, what I thought was at the beginning was it was just an issue with inside the church, because that's my culture, that's my frame of reference for so many things as a pastor. But this idea of the great resignation was just across the board um, Mm. from everybody and no matter the field. Um, And it became newsworthy topic of discussion, obviously. And we've all talked and thought a lot more intentionally about meaningful work so what is it and how do we get it? And so, but is it a, an achievable goal? Maybe it's a better question, this idea of meaningful work within all the things. Or is that it, or is that even what we mean to do for us is to provide meaning? Is work supposed to provide meaning in our everyday? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a few different tacks on that. Let's first talk about the great resignation. Sure. Yeah, that did change, I think, uh, the way a lot of people, but the pandemic changed mm-hmm. the way a lot of people view their work. If you read some articles on this in New York Times, they'll say that hustle culture died. We've moved into an age of anti-ambition is one of my favorite articles, where the idea of kind of getting ahead and moving forward um, sort of fizzled out. And we had this experience of a lot of people either being relegated to the sidelines or even being let go, of course, during the pandemic, and then needing all the employees back. Maybe the employees weren't so interested in coming back. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe I, maybe I'm not that interested in it at all. So I think culturally speaking, our relationship to work certainly shifted. And I think people saw, boy, there are other things. Um, Because Americans, of course, globally, Mm. we're workaholics. We don't take enough time off. That's it. And I actually think that shifted a little bit in the the pandemic. 
you had asked a question about meaning, and I think that's an important one. Newbegin talks a little bit about that, is that the way we construct meaning has to do with what story we find, our in, uh, find ourselves in and the purpose we have for our life. So to your, to your question, there's a yes and a no, in my view, mm-hmm. of work and meaning. Um, the no is that meaning is ultimately found uh, from the, the intrinsic dignity and worth that Christ gives us and finding ourselves within his biblical story and being summoned into his purposes. So I do think that meaning, regardless of our job, can be anybody's simply because we are people of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So I'll first say that. Second, a lot of people struggle with meaninglessness in their work, like a lot, a lot. The stats from Gallup on this are not encouraging. Globally, they say that 87% of people are either sort of just punching the clock or actually checked out from their work. It's a little higher in America um, for various different reasons, but there's a lot of people that really struggle with meaning in their work. So one of the questions I think a person of Christian faith should be is what role should work uh, play uh, in my life? Uh, and what does it? What does my faith have to say to that? Um, I do believe that work can be, though is not always, a response to God's voice in our life. Mm. Um, and so, when does that, when does that Venn diagram completely overlap between God's call and our work? I would say almost never. At least we are on this side of Eden, right? Uh, having said that, there are opportunities in our work to actually fulfill the great commandment, really to respond in God's voice in the moment to his love, and to serve our neighbors with all sorts of goods and services and products. So there's, I do think to the question of meaning, there can be too much meaning where you find all of your identity and everything that I ever wanted to be was in my work, but there can be too little. And too little is work doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm just there to get as much money out of this thing for as short or short of time or little as effort as possible. Yeah. And those people, generally speaking, you look at some of the data on that, they're not very happy. Mm-hmm. So most people want to believe that there's something there that they have been given that is supposed to be given to others right. through their lives and through their work. So that's a yes yes and a no kind of a qualified response. Yeah, that's great. I w- in response to that, <clears throat> you know, I think, I've, I haven't said this on the podcast in a long time, Um my mom jokes that one of the ways that she knows um, that I'm saved is it's a really weird understanding is that I read. Um, and I don't really know what is at the root of that, uh, other than the fact that I did not read at all as a kid. Like I just would not read through high school, through college. Um, and it wasn't until uh, kind of my journey back to faith was a lot of reading and I've just kind of continued the process. Mm. And, and I bring that up to make a joke, but to say, in my reading of leadership, in my reading of, of interacting in the workplace, in my in my reading of time management, of leadership skills, et cetera, um, there's a lot written in the space of Christian leadership. I think there's a, you can find a, a lot of really good books on that. But when it came to how to approach work, productivity, time management, um, meaning from your work, you know, et cetera, as you try not, as you, as, as a pastor looking to help people in all of that, I mean, up until your, your, your books come from, I mean, you've got two books we mentioned earlier, um, Uncommon Gra- uh, Guide to Retirement, but your most recent one, Working from the Inside Out, as a holistic approach of looking at work. I mean, the closest thing that I found, which is a good book, I enjoyed it, was Redeeming Your Time by Jordan Rayner, you know, um, as he looked at kind of biblical principles and being purposeful and present and productive in your work, 
but it still didn't get to the heart of the meaning of work. And so I would just say, or ask the question, why do you think it is that I can walk into a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million or Amazon and find a litany of books on every subject that you could ever imagine, but this idea of faith and work being so distant? Yeah, so the question is why why we don't have more books on it. You know, when I do research for my own book, there are quite a few books on that. There's a, uh, a certainly a spike in the 80s and 90s. Mm. Uh, of course, Redeemer and some of those folks really talked about it in the Reformed communities. Um, but I think certain other communities don't talk about it uh, quite as much. I'm not sure about the Methodist community. You guys would know about that. Anabaptist a little less or a little bit differently. Sure. And then Catholic communities think about it a little bit differently. So I do think there are some perspectives out there on that. Um, but here's what I found. Actually, I reviewed another gentleman's book for Christianity Today recently on sort of the faith and work movement. Uh, it's called Saving the Protestant Ethic. If you want a good sociological mm. overview to the faith and work movement, if you're kind of nerdy on this space, it's a great Oxford University Press book <laughs> on that. But um, he did take a look at this, and the reality is the conversation can find a small niche and miss mm. a lot of people. Mm. That's what I would say. Um, his subtitle of this book was uh, Creative Class Evangelicals and the Crisis of Work. I say that simply because a lot of people that are drawn to faith and work are those that um, generally have a lot of agency in their work. They like their work. They maybe find a lot of their identity in their work. And if some minister comes and talks about their work, they're they're there because they already like their work. The challenge actually becomes when the majority of people that really don't prefer to think about their work any more than they have to, Mm. how do we talk to those people about how faith influences work. So to answer your books about why don't we have, or your question about why don't we have more books on this, there are, I just think they've uh, hit narrow audiences and there's a real need to make it broader, which is one reason in my book, I tried to keep it brief and introductory so that mm-hmm. anybody that wanted to start talking about this can learn from my own, my own failures and faults <laughs> and can start the conversation here. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so jumping into the faith side, work shows up as the theme pretty quickly in the story of God. Genesis chapter one through three, tell the story of God giving good work to his people only to have that work cursed by the fall. So how do you describe what happened to work at the fall? Yeah, it's a good question. Genesis one, two, and three, of course, is very important to those that think about a biblical theology of work. Um, created good, uh, a part of our bringing creation to its fullness. You can see this in Genesis 1 and 2 as image bearers. Um, And you can see in Genesis 3 that God curses childbearing and work very quickly right afterwards. These two great gifts, Mm -hmm. these two great gifts that he's given us, family and work, which I would imagine for me and you, as well as for listeners, we're spending most of our life in these two arenas, right? Family and work. Yet these are the things that then have thorns and thistles. That's what it says, Mm -hmm. that your laboring is going to be difficult. And so we sense this, we feel this, that we had a great dream of things we wanted to accomplish in our life and work. And there's a thorn in the thistle. There's pain and unmet expectations and failures and difficulties and things that don't ever quite measure up. Um, I have a theory of why God did that. I think we tend to look to those two areas as core sources of identity Mm. apart from God, our family, and our work. He tainted them both to draw us back to him. Hmm. 
So I actually mm -hmm. think there's a little bit of grace in the curse, uh, in my view. But we are on this side where we have echoes of uh, work that's good and we get excited about work, right? But on this side of Eden, we are all aware of the pain and the difficulty that we experience at an individual level, on an institutional level, and a cultural level. Mm -hmm. That's good. I hadn't, I had never thought of the grace side of that curse. That's really good. Um, that, that because, and it seems like it should be an obvious thought, but it's just not. But clearly, um, work can be an idol and certainly a source of um, identity building, and so can your children. So, mm -hmm. uh, great, great thought. I'm wondering if, because if, if we look at kind of my, when I was in seminary and when some of these conversations were being had, Robert Greenleaf was a big name yes. talking about servant leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and that, that, uh, that, that was pretty important to me early on in my, in my ministry, just teaching me about leadership in general, but, but broadening that out to how we approach the workplace Um well, I'd just like to hear your take on that. Is, is, have, you, have you done much reading into Greenleaf? Yeah, a little bit. He was foundational in kind of a, almost a shift in broad management thinking toward this idea of servant leadership, which has its kind of cultural cachet far outside the Christian faith um, mm -hmm. even today. So I, I have. Um, yeah. Tell me, what was your question? Well, I was probably mostly just interested to know if you had if you'd read him and if it kind of fit together at all. Um, with the work that you're doing, but let me just broaden yeah. that out a little bit and ask, um, come back to the curse and just, how does all this play itself out in contemporary Christian culture? Um, whether we're talking about the positives like servant yeah. leadership or the negatives like the curse in Genesis 3, how does that play itself out in contemporary Christian culture? How do, how do we, in general, process the concept of work and live out the reality of work in a fallen world. Yeah. Yeah. How does the fall in work play itself out in our, in our world today, broadly, culturally, a Christian culture. I just think it's everywhere. Um, let's see if we're starting inside the church, unhealthy relationship to their work, to power, to control. Yeah. I mean, you can see those things, right? You can mm -hmm. see it in minor ways, like projects that don't work out, uh, things that weren't funded, right? You can see it uh, in our own sort of unmet expectations or hope for work. I mean, you just see the fall, I think, in all sorts of areas uh, of work. Um, mm -hmm. I would also mention one other thing to your previous point. You talked about servant leadership. I do think um, this idea of the great commandment, love God, love neighbor, work is a very important part of that. Yeah. So the way that we primarily make ourselves useful to our neighbor is our work. You ever think about the distinction between work and leisure? Uh, and I don't think it's just pay, right? Um, I, I actually think when somebody is willing to step up and buy something, it becomes so valuable that then economies are made, right? Yeah. And then where there's workplaces and businesses and organizations. So I do think that having a perspective toward our work that is cognizant of the fall but genuinely there's lots of good to be done and there's good to be done to be serving others through our work with the products and services we made with the practices with the ways that we interact with our co-workers there's opportunities for gospel witness uh, but there's also ways to do the gospel through our deeds and the types of things we make and why we make it and our spirit that we create in teams and organizations and cultures there's just 
a lot of opportunities for Christians can be to be involved in this. And I and when I see that, to your point about the fall, I see a little bit of that redemptive influence of Christ. Crown of thorns. We have pain in our work, right? But He takes those thorns and makes them into a crown of glory. Uh, and so I, I think there's a lot of good opportunities too in our work. Hmm. So we're not doomed then uh, <laughs> by the curse of the fall. <laughs> Tell me there's some good news here. There, <laughs> there, there is gospel. <laughs> yes. Are, are, are we unfulfilled no matter how hard we try? Or, uh, and, and, is, and is that unfulfillment, is that longing that we find even in our work, is that meant to point us back to God? Or is there an inherent, is this, does God want us to be to find fulfillment in our work? What what is your take take on that? Yeah, I, I actually think if you are looking for ultimate fulfillment from your work, you'll be very very disappointed. Mm-hmm. We are not going to find it there. And I think particularly in LinkedIn and professional communities in those worlds, everybody's trying to say who's got the bigger platform or who's making the biggest impact or success or whatever it might be. If that's kind of where the heart is, you're going to experience more and more of the curse. I think in your work. Uh, and that's bad news, right? Um, yeah. So I think that is going to be difficult. Having said that, when your longing, your fulfillment, looking for fulfillment starts to recenter itself on just Jesus, hmm. just Jesus, not, not Jesus and, but just Jesus, right? And you start to find more contentment, more peace, more of your longing for life comes from his life. When that happens, hmm. I actually think we do find more meaning in our work because we find more meaning in all of these small areas that the saints throughout the ages have uh, encouraged us to see. These tiny little things of, you know, doing a podcast or sending a note or making something small. These are all good and beautiful things in God's world. And we know resurrection body and the life of the world to come. We have good reason to believe there will be for eternity these good small things in a very physical way. So I do think once we start to recenter ourselves on Christ, I do think we can find more and more meaning. However, in secular communities that are only, or even for Christian communities that are only looking for the next big thing or success and work, I think it's going to be a disappointment. Yeah. So how do we practice emotional and vocational help? So walk us through the five transformative, uh, transformative principles, uh, the seek deep spiritual health, thinking theologically, embracing relationships create good work, and serve others sacrificially. Sure. So my journey, as I said, it really started thinking about we can have a great gospel impact through our work. And I, of course, I still believe that. And we've been sharing about this in the podcast. So I went from a journey of um, that sort of create good work can have a huge impact on our culture. Um, and then I got to be in my mid-30s and my 40s. And I actually started to see cracks in my own armor, is what Mm -hmm. I said in my book. I can remember Mm -hmm. very clearly I would come home from work totally exhausted, uh, very short and anxious with my family, uh, and really just wondering where all this was coming from. I remember one day pulling, I just was exhausted, and I pulled up to a stoplight, and I saw this guy kind of with us, was crossing across the street with a cigarette, hanging out his mouth and baggy jeans and this kind of white tank top. He looked terrible. And I said to my wife, I feel like that guy looks. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and I just said, what is going on inside me? Here I am in a Christian ministry, but I don't feel the life of God within right now. I don't feel it. I feel just strung thin or like 
what did, what did Bilbo say? Butter spread over too much bread. So I say mm. that because I actually think a lot of the faith and work conversations tend to be external, but we need to first move them internal. Mm. So those first two principles that I talked about, seek deep spiritual health and think theologically, that is actually seeking the fullness of the life of God in our hearts and our souls and our emotional lives. Uh, as well as in our minds and understanding our work and our life in light of the biblical story. So I do think God is first moving inside of us. Uh, but it doesn't remain, I would say, merely devotional. I think it then moves secondly to our exterior lives. And the first exterior relationship that even little babies have is with another human being, right? Looking up to a parent or looking up to another person. So I have a chapter on embrace relationships as well as create good work. But I think there's redemptive opportunities in the relationships we have with other mm. coworkers, as well as with what we actually make, the products and the services that we make. Uh, and then the last part, this serve others sacrificially, this is sort of our civic life or our communal life. Love your neighbor has public consequences to it. And what we do with our work and the decisions we make in our working life um, make a, a tremendous influence on that. And I use the language of serve others sacrificially to just try to get at my view of cultural engagement is less about triumphantly taking back a country for God. It is about walking in the way of the cross to love our neighbors as ourselves, neighbors that are potentially very distant uh, from us. And I still think work is a wonderful way in which to do that. Of course, it can be done through volunteer uh, activities as well, but work is a central way. So the book, Working from the Inside Out, is that, is that I know that work is usually focused on how you can make the big impact, but first actually go back into your interior life, mm. then actually let it naturally move to your exterior life and then your civic life. Do you find that, do you find that most people, um, well, most people is a, a too broad of a term. Do you find that most people within the church, um, confessing Christians, regardless of kind of denomination, et cetera, but confessing Christians start their career from a place of thinking theologically, thinking through their deep spiritual health of this is what I want my life to be. And then just in the term of, you said in your 30s, in your early 40s, like you just hit this thing where you haven't thought about it in a long time. You actually started there and then you just kind of moved away from there. Or do you think uh, most of us don't start there? Yeah, I think most of us don't start there and never get there. Honestly, if I'm thinking about most people, mm-hmm. I think at some point, let's see, we're young, we're hopeful and idealistic, and we're going to make an impact in the world. Sure. And then you get a little older, yeah. and you're like, oh no, the world is impacting me much more than I'm <laughs> impacting it. Yeah. And then I think what can happen is maybe cynicism or maybe just like, look, this is my faith life, and this I like church, it's fine. And then this is the real world. Right? This is how it really functions. These are the real rules in public education or finance or the trades or whatever it might be. And you just actually stop asking questions. Yeah. You just start, you just do what everybody else does. You go into a company, you do your things, and you don't ask them the hard questions. And so I'm regularly pushing people to say, if you are a person of faith, you have to think about your experience of God in the moment, moment, the way you're thinking, what kind of work you're doing, what kind of relationships you're participating in, and the ways it influences your communities. So I just think for most people, it's just maybe that one reason maybe the book won't sell well. It's not an issue. Like It's just like I just kind of do my life, right? And so I kind of want to make a lot of my own vocation has been making people a little less comfortable. I love it. I, I, I was right there with you, Pierce. That's the point of those five. 
seek deep spiritual health, think theologically, embrace relationships, create good work, serve others sacrificially. Each one of those chapters was uh, really so so um, thoughtfully and powerfully expressed. But think theologically. That's where you got me. Um, because because I, I would agree, I don't think most people think theologically. And I particularly like, um, on page 50 of um, Working from the Inside Out, um, you, you give a really practical way to think about your, your current job. Um, I'm just going to read from, from this uh, page. A good way to begin to think theologically about your work is to take the simple framework and ask critical questions, not just about your work, but about your company or school or hospital or whatever and the industry you work in. For example, what is good about my country or industry that I can support and get behind? That's a creation question. What is broken about my company or industry that needs redemption? That's a falling question. What might it look like if this, or like a a question of the fall, (laughs) not a falling question, but a question of the fall. What might it look like if this part of my company or industry was healed and restored? That's a renewal question. Mm. And then what has God put before me today in my current circumstances that could be part of that healing and restoration, which is a calling question? These are really, I mean, these are just solid questions. If you could, if a, if a person could make a practice of being thoughtful about those questions, either at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, that just totally changed the way you get up and go to work. It wouldn't just be your default setting. It'd be something much more intentional. And you begin to see yourself, whether you're, changing oil or teaching school or uh or pastoring because because even pastoring is a has a workplace um as as um as having a more intentional impact on the culture and it seems to me that as we impact culture um that then we're, we're we are doing that good small thing for the kingdom of god right where we are yeah so um you also say this and then i want to to just comment a little bit more on it it's, at the end of that same chapter, it's easy to dismiss thinking theologically as being important only for the academically minded. It's simply not true. It's a gift from God for all the church to see our work in daily life in light of scripture, Christian doctrine, and the gospel of grace. Um, the psalmist was right. In your light, we see light. So it feels to me, just like what you're asking people to do is to grow up a little. <laughs> hmm. To, to think more deeply about their work. If, if God has called me to be holy, then how do I then, then how do I intentionally engage in my in the culture in which I spend my day, in the work in which I spend my day, and the crowd in which I spend my day, so that I am bringing something to the table more than just checking a box. Is that am I on the right track? Yeah, you know, how do you even say this applies to pastors as well? We, we, you just kind of do the, like every seven days, Sunday comes around, you do the things, right? (laughs) And 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 oftentimes we're not very reflective, even ahead of the strategic plan or whatever it might be on what aspects of God's redemptive mission is he summing me into right now? And what does that then practically mean? So I think that means everything from how we structure church to healthcare and architecture and the trades and everything in between. So I do just think, you know, you don't, I don't think actually transformation starts in the mind. I actually think it moves from them actually principally in the soul or in the heart. Um, having said that, you do not want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. God has mm. given us minds for a darn good reason to, to use mm-hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, and honestly, the challenges of our culture and what it means to be people of faith and the challenges of our companies and industries or even the teams or the work challenges, they require the mind. They require the yeah. mind. And to do that, to listen to God's voice and to be summoned into his mission requires that we're going to ultimately make probably some countercultural decisions. So, it, I, yeah, we, we need to grow up and just like, I know that's how your industry functions right now, but, but should it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Right. And, and what is God asking you to be and to do in that context, right? This is the redemptive people of God in the world, but it really requires very particular questions and particular responses from God's people spread throughout all sorts of industries and work and communities throughout the world. What, yeah. I, lo what, I, love what I love about one of the things you just said was, in response to seeing the brokenness, then what is my call to play in it? Um, and the gospel call in it, because I think I could see, you know, people reading this, beginning to think theologically or seeing the destruction um, that they don't connect with in their workplace for the first time, the disconnection, and going, well, I'm out. I'm just, I, I'm just, I need another job. I need a completely new job. Right. Like, it's like a complete, it's like in, in the in the church world, it's the youth pastor that goes to the conference and then comes back. It's like, we're changing everything. And it's like, well, hold on. Let's like, let's wait. Let's, let's, yeah. let's test a few things out. So yeah. what I love is that is like, even seeing that in your own soul and maybe in your workplace, the disconnect of where maybe God's calling you, one of those first questions, and obviously this is, this doesn't apply to every situation. There are probably situations where you just need to get out of that job. But but in that to go, how do I'm here? What's the call on my life? What's the call on my life in this season to be a redemptive action within the company, within the corporation, within the office space, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. um, versus well, yeah, if you feel disconnect, and you have never said this, so I'm not putting this on, on the book at all, mm -hmm. um, but just going, well, okay, well, then I'm just, I need a whole new career. And it's like, well, before you jump there, I think there's some other better questions. And I, I, like, yeah. I like that viewpoint. And I would also say in the great resignation, I think a lot of people did move jobs and then they found the great regret. Of, yeah. Oh, maybe right. the grass is not actually greener on the other side because they yeah. found the human condition on the other side of another job. And how many people right. have you known that they move to the great new house and then, boy, it's like two weeks later and it doesn't feel the same way as it did when you were in the closing process or whatever. It could be yeah, a job. It right. could be a lot of stuff because our right. hearts are always yeah. looking for that, right? So I do think, and, and the second point of that, I, I do think it takes it from a theological conversation to a spiritual discernment mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. because we can see the problems of the world very easily disengage of like, I can't do anything about the pains in Ukraine. I can't do anything, mm -hmm. right? But God might, actually, God's not calling me to do everything. <laughs> yeah. he, he's, not, he's not saying that to me. He doesn't call yeah. me to do things that I can't do or that are beyond me, right? He summons me into my, like his will for my life. And I think that requires us to be in direct contact with the Trinity, with Father, Son, and Spirit, for us to actually respond well to this. And so oftentimes in calling and work questions, people are like, what's, what's my, what, what job should I do? Or, you know, should I leave this job or that? I'm like, I don't. I'm not Jesus. I can't, I can't tell you those questions. He may be telling you to leave a job. He may be telling you to stay mm -hmm. and to suffer or to have a great up into the right career. I mean, there could actually be all of these because you see actually lots of these things. Generally in the Bible with calling, it tends to be more, um, it's going to be hard. 
<laughs> yeah. That's generally the calling uh, framework. If think about Jeremiah, think about Moses, think about Paul, see how much you will suffer for my mm-hmm. name. So I do think <laughs> oftentimes we think about calling in terms of my best life now. And it's like, yeah. well, I, I don't, that's just not what you usually see in the scriptures. So all that to say, I think that discernment of where God has me now and realizing this is the context for my Christian life is the reality of my community and my family and my work. This yeah. is where God's called me to respond right here, right now. And I can do something. Hmm. And so, so what we, it sounds like what we need is, is not to, not to find an, another pasture, but to get more tools for the pasture we're in. So we're not just whipping out the four spiritual laws at the lunch table and thinking the only thing the only thing we can offer to our workplace of value in terms in a Christian context is who can I get saved? Uh, it's not just that. It's maybe it's more um, how do how do how do I personally allow this workplace to transform me <laughs> so that I am. Uh, really asking deeper questions about um, the justice side of this industry or about the, um, the, the fairness side or the, or the loving God and neighbor side of this work culture. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really being challenged to think more deeply. Here is my context. Stop trying to change that. Now, what is my, how do I make the most of this? I think the question you ask in your book is how do people of faith translate their convictions about the biblical story into the secular workplace. How do I do this in a way where I am? Yeah. So yeah. That God is glorified and it means having more tools, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm a huge actually fan of evangelism because I want all people to know who Jesus is. Absolutely. And I would say uh, it, it does require some work to be able to translate that into a world that may not Im- immediately respond to the four spiritual laws that I live in Denver. Uh, Denver is, uh, different than, say, the American South uh, in, in many different ways. And so we have to be wise about the ways in which we translate faith into the context. And I have a few different tools for that in the book that people can use, and that can lead people to redemptive conversations. So uh-huh. I do think that's important. Um, and I would also say speaking the gospel and embodying the gospel with what we do and why we do it, uh, they're two sides of the same coin. You see in the gospel of John, you see a miracle, then you see an explanation, you see deed word. So I think they just always go together and should we be, we need to be thinking about too, what words do I say here and when, uh, and what do I do and why? That's great. I really appreciate that you tackle the need as a worker to understand spiritual warfare. Hmm. I love that you brought that in. Uh, to the conversation. I want to quote from page 119 of your book. Leslie Newbegin believes, as do I, this is you talking, that companies not under the lordship of Christ are controlled not only by people, but by what the New Testament calls the powers and principalities. These powers, though created by Christ and for Christ, become corrupt and dark when they become absolute. That's from you, you quote uh, Colossians 1.16, Ephesians 6. When Jesus disarmed the powers and principalities at the cross, he didn't destroy them, but he did rob them of the claim to ultimate authority. Although some see these verses as a hierarchy of demons and angels, language of power in the New Testament could also be applied to organizations, institutions, markets, or governments. This truth can help us see that when we go to work, Various gods and ultimate purposes are already there, and we are ultimately in a missionary context. Now, 
we're getting to the real deep end of what can happen when you consider your place in a workplace. That's a bold statement. I love the idea that we're all missionaries ultimately. What does that mean for the guy changing oil? Or the, the woman working oil. in the office? Yeah, well, and people have various different um, uh, work roles, I would say. Not only the guy changing yeah. the oil <laughs> and the woman working in the office. Yeah, well, a couple of thoughts on that quote. That was from Newbegin, and he was depending on a guy named Walter Wink who did some work on the powers and the principalities. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think on a very practical level for those two people that you just brought up, right? The guy tuning oil and the woman in the office. Don't we tend to think when we go into work that work is sort of a neutral space and I'm the weird one with a religious perspective here that really ought not to be brought up? Mm. Yes. Isn't that kind of what most people are like? Oh, that's kind of inappropriate. I feel weird here. Uh, but this is sort of a neutral space, right? This is sort of the myth of this kind of secular neutral space that Nubigan just pokes some real holes into it, is that if Christ isn't worshipped, something is being worshipped. And if if something other than God is being worshipped, this takes on a dark tone to it. So I actually think faith, religion, ultimately, ultimate worldviews, that's a very big category that could be the world's, you know, big five religions, mm. Uh, it could be the big five tech companies and that tend to feel ultimate because they're so powerful, right? Or back in the day of the ancient, you know, the ancient world, Caesar was thought to be, whether one Caesar goes or another comes, it was thought to be this position or this role that would be eternal, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely sets itself up in contrast to the lordship of Jesus, So I think very practically for listeners, we really have to think about ourselves as missionaries and that if you're in India and you see many different gods in those contexts, that might be more obvious. But when you're in the secular West, you have to really see that we are more in a polytheistic, I would say, context than a... um, than a secular context. And we just have to get good at noticing where is some sort of ultimate worldview that is unquestioned, the sort of holy altar that I'm being called to obey or even worship, that I, as a person of faith, will have to challenge the powers and the principalities because Christ himself has all the power, and I am Christ's at the end of the day. Uh, And that takes eyes to see, which is spiritual warfare, and it takes courage. I really think it takes courage. So for those that are challenging the powers and the principalities in their context— Bless you. It is it is spiritual warfare out there. Hmm. Amen. Amen. So a lot of folks listening to this podcast are in vocational ministry of one kind or another, but I don't notice that churches have particularly mastered the art of being excellent workplaces. I've hmm. worked at a few churches. I loved all the places I've worked, but that I, I that's something you hear. Um, <laughs> so what can we learn from the best practices out there about making better experiences for those who are serving Jesus? Um, with their days. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts on that. I think this conversation about faith and work, it's oftentimes thought the pastors should teach this to their congregations. Now, I think that's actually true. But actually, I think it would be a better, easier starting point to go where you just started, which is we all are doing work, right? And just because you're a church, it's, you know, it does not make everything holy right away. For anybody that's worked (laughs) in a church, you you know that... You know that uh, the fall exists here too. So I mean, yeah, how many times have how many times have we heard, you know, people who attended a church, loved the church, absolutely loved the church, and then got a job at the church and then left the church? 
Yeah, yes. this is a very common story. This yeah. is a very common story. Yeah. Because yeah, they put all of their sort of spiritual aspirations on working at this place. And then, right. oh, whoops, maybe I should have just kept them on Jesus in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of thoughts on that. One, I think the book is just as relevant to those working inside and outside the church. And you could have conversations about how does this influence your workplace? I would mm. say that. Second, uh, this is a unique thing about churches, um, uh, and I'm a huge fan and lover of my church. I go to an Anglican church, and I love it. But I actually find that oftentimes things can be uh, operationally weak and (laughs) over-spiritualized. So what I mean by that is sometimes we spiritualize sort of everything, and I I want us to be praying, but there's so many things where we lack basic systems of accountability of execution, of planning for the future, of job descriptions, all the stuff that's almost sort of basic in business world. Um, I think more and more churches, they need more of that um, in different ways, simply because I think actually doing work well and good operations, uh, it leads to a better work environment, leads to deeper trust, it leads to actually easier you can express your faith through your work in a little bit more of an easy way as well. So the summary for that, I would say, is I actually want more churches to function a little bit more like organizations and businesses. And I actually want businesses to function a lot more like churches. <laughs> so it actually goes both ways. Uh, so I do think there's good opportunities to grow and learn and to say, we too are living out our faith in a day-to-day context of our work around broken people. And mm. I, I myself am one of those broken people. What is God summoning me into here and now? as I set my heart solely on Jesus. Well said. So you've written another book called um, An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. So what about retirement? What is the expectation of a Christian who has managed to have a whole career and has the means to no longer quote unquote work? Although I was in a room full of retired people this morning and was told that retired people are busy all day long, busier than when they ever worked. And that's kind of a cliche. You hear it all the time. You do hear um, that all the so, time. That's right. Yeah. That is that is right. I've heard that many different times. It makes you wonder why <laughs> why they're so anxious to say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I, I did write a book on retirement because I wanted to write one on work and then one on the 30 to 40 years after work, life after work. This is not a short period of time. And so it's mm-hmm. a called an uncommon guide to retirement. Maybe a whole other podcast to get into the depths of this, but you know, the idea of retirement is this unending vacation um, is a cultural notion that is not only not biblical, uh, but I do think it just needs to be challenged from a Christian perspective. So the very short uh, overview of that book is I believe God is calling people to sort of not only resist that narrative of retirement, but to rest, seek interior renewal, and re-engage culture as elders mm. filled with wisdom and blessing for another generation. And so I have a kind of a vision of instead of fully retiring, take his time of Sabbath rest, interior, do some of the interior work, ask questions about calling and work, kind of like we're doing here. Um, and, and then re-engage, but re-engage not as a 25-year-old that you're clearly not anymore, that's going to put all the things on my back and come follow me, but as this very beautiful biblical vision of an elder that is not only a New mm-hmm. Testament office, but as somebody filled with wisdom and blessing and insight that a coming generation needs. And actually, I think that's a big opportunity for people of Christian faith to say, I am very engaged. I am publicly engaged. You know, even outside the church, Cicero was in his 80s and still going to court and still learning Greek when he was in old age. I mean, there are wonderful examples of people saying, I have something to give here and I am going to give it over a lifetime. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that I have to keep on doing the same thing unbroken for 40 years. I, you got to expect times of pulling back, of shifting, and then re-engaging. So good. Yeah, what I, what I, I love so much about what you just said, the word elder is kind of uh, deeply personally, deeply personal to, to me and important. Uh, there was a time in my life when um, I heard a word from the Lord just very, very personal and very uh, just stark, obvious word where where he just ignited in me that deep desire to be an elder, a true elder, not yeah. not the not the office of an elder that you get in a church, but the, a true spiritual elder. Um, and I think that work uh, requires uh, a maturity. I think it requires imagination. I think it requires um, a spirit, spirit. Obviously, you've, you've got to seek deep spiritual health, as you say. <laughs> that's the that's the first one. You've got to uh, to seek deep spiritual health, and you and you've really got to get a heart for others in order to be a true spiritual elder. Yeah, you, you don't you don't do it for yourself. You do yeah. it for the others, right? Yeah, and I'd say too, a lot of people, I think, when they move into the retirement age. Um, they have pain in their work. We all have pain. We all have difficulties. And yeah. so the idea that I could be done with that and have sort of this unending, peaceful vacation bliss, right? It's very appealing. And actually the stats say that basically anybody that can retire in America will and does. <laughs> Those are most of the stats uh, in uh -huh. the United States. And so I actually think to your point of spiritual health, you got to deal with your wounds. You got to deal with your pain. You actually have to do some of that interior work to be that elder of wisdom and blessing and care and love and right. concern for coming generation and decide that you are going to stay engaged again albeit in a different context but mm -hmm. stay engaged keep giving like there is something that god has given to you from a lifetime of experience and skills that he's yeah. still expecting you to give to your neighbor so yeah i love right. that good insight carolyn call is call <laughs> that's right, right. call shift call is Call shift, yeah. but it's not only about uh, calling when you're age 25. You can be thinking right. about this when you're age 65 or 75. Right, right. I, I find myself in a season where I'm discerning a next a next step. And given my age, the obvious question on everybody's lips is, well, are you going to retire? No, no, hmm. no. That's and, and so then you have to kind of fight. I don't want to denigrate retirement. Right. I just see my call differently. I see my call very much as still active and engaged and, you know, a new assignment. What's next for me? That could be very exciting, but it does require um, imagination and it requires uh, some energy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reality, the reality is, I think the idea of, you know, I'm thinking of one uh, gentleman in our church right now. He's been retired since I think his mid fifties. Um, very successful career, retired early, late 50s, somewhere around there. But he has just give. he doesn't have a quote unquote nine to five or a consulting company, but he gives of himself, I mean, daily. Gives um, his life. Yeah. He gives his life away. And so, you know, and he would say he was, he's retired with the full schedule, you know? And so, but in that concept, you know, going back to the very beginning of of spiritual health and thinking theological and surrounding yourself in community and doing good work, when when you've done that 
and you do get to the age of where maybe the nine to five isn't your day to day, you are still thinking, I would imagine, in the conversations I have with men and women in that stage of life, you're still thinking of the legacy and the call that God has on you to, if it's going to continue through you and after you, you have to give it away. You have to you have to raise up. You have to pour into others. You have to continue that work. Versus, so so the thought of, of your work isn't towards you. Going back to the original book, it's toward the call that God has in total. Like you're you're playing a part in the bigger call story. Versus, at sixty five, at seventy, I'm gonna sit on the beach for the next till I die, and enjoy just the pleasures of life, etc. That it looks that way, is enticed that way. Well, you're still the center of the story, center of the story. And yes. and so taking yourself out of the center, you're always gonna you're always gonna be working, you know? And yeah, and yeah it, it sounds like this this gentleman has done an amazing job mm-hmm. of committed service of others. Yes. Now sometimes this is paid and sometimes this is unpaid. Correct. But if we mean love your neighbor, something like working for the good of another, right? right? That can take a lot of different forms. And that could be taking care of grandkids, which yes. I know a lot of folks that this is their vocation. And that's a beautiful thing because it's hard work. Yes. <laughs> uh it's very hard work. I think yeah, either self-focused pleasure or idleness is out of the question. Right. For people of Christian faith. But I do you think there's a wide of uh, variety of things that God may summon people into in terms of committed service. Mm. I know a lot of people that say, I just don't want to tie myself down, so I'm not going to make any commitments to different stuff. But that literally is what love is. When I married my wife, I tied myself down. When I had kids, I, I tied myself yeah. down, right? It literally <laughs> is, I'm tying myself down to caring for the needs of others. And so if you want to live a life of love, make good, thoughtful, spiritual decisions of how you'll tie yourself down to love others. I love that. That's I cannot the, think of a better way yep. to end the. That's that's the that's the takeaway, friends. Jeff Hainan, thank you so much for giving us your time mm-hmm. and your wisdom around how we spend our days for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So grateful. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, you know, I was surprised, you know, and maybe I get the idea of thinking theologically and being idealistic, you know, sometimes can be one of those Venn diagrams that have crossover, you know, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I got to be honest, I think I was shocked to think through, not that people in their 30s or 40s or 50s haven't thought theologically, and I'm talking about people that would confess Christ and and say they're right. a practicing Christian, obviously, um, that they haven't thought through their work theologically. But I, I, as a pastor and someone who teaches and preaches, to to for him to say, which I, he's the expert here, for him to say, hey, I don't think many people in their 20s, they may start out idealistically, but they're not starting out theologically, um, was a real, right. a real good check for me. Oh, yeah, and, and and when I saw in in the book, when I saw that that sentence, that two word mm-hmm. sentence, think theologically, everything clicked with me. It's like, yeah, that's how you make your work meaningful. No right. matter what it is, that's how you make your work meaningful. What, what in this day needs to be redeemed? There, mm. start there. Or um, what in this workplace needs redemption? Um, you and I. I uh, have a dear loved one who has changed careers in the last couple of three years. And um, Steve 
he has a job that's completely unlike the job that he had, which was really felt to him more like a call in his life. But he said to me recently, I'm staying here because I feel like I can make a difference in this culture. Mm. And so he's he's not thinking about this job as what he does, like the physically he does during the day. He's not thinking about it for the paycheck so much. He's sure. just thinking, look, here's a group of, of here's a group of people I work with whose lives might benefit from the from the uh, witness of Jesus mm. and in and, and, and the way that I bring it particularly. And that's a whole different way of thinking about work than what's my paycheck or yeah. how can I how can I excel? How can I get better at this? Right. Which is how I think, yeah, I think most people do live right there. How do I get better at this? How do I get a better job out of this? Sure. How do I build my portfolio? Yeah. Well, my friends, there it is. There's there's your thought to think through as you took notes. We know you did and uh, took notes. But on your walk tonight or you're on your drive or your commute to work tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this, to be thinking mm-hmm. theologically through your work. What I love about what he said in the middle of it was this. Just because when you see disconnect doesn't mean you need to be disconnected from that job and go find something else, you know? Yeah. And so doesn't mean you leave, but begin to do that theological work get spiritually healthy, um, and then begin to look at the steps ahead. A great conversation, one we need to visit more and more. My friends, I hope you have an incredible day, a credible day at work. Uh, Be blessed, be a blessing to those around you, and we'll see you back here next week. Take care.